AnnieZ.com. I mean, come on, AnnieZ, you had to be involved in the entertainment business. Were you ever thinking Annie Zaleski to be a performer yourself? I wasn't. You know, I, I grew up and I played the flute for eight years. And so I think the extent of my performing um, was in marching band and pep band and concert band and things like that. Yeah. So that was, that was the extent of my performing. But this means, and um, you've written books on Duran Duran, Lady Gaga, you're writing one about B-52s, blah, blah, blah. But we'll get to that. What interests me about music criticism, which is really why I started this music library, I've realised that Music criticism has turned into another branch of fashion criticism. I can't remember who it was that compared music journalism to fashion journalism, but it's a perfect comparison, except for when you're discussing crotchets and quavers and kind of the recapitulation of a classical piece. So when you are writing about music yourself, are you conscious that you have to write about the music, the notes, as as well as the performance, which is what really popular music is? You know, I... I, I grew up in the era where I think, geez, when I, I came of age in an era when the internet was just starting to become a thing. And so my writing tends to be in print and, you know, and here and there online. And so I've always, and so I came of age where basically, you know, YouTube didn't exist. If you wanted to describe a musician and what they looked like, you had to do it because people couldn't just hop online and see that. So my writing, I think, is very descriptive about performance and about the music itself because, you know, I, I was conscious of a time where not every music was, never, not every piece of music was available at your fingertips. You know, maybe I was writing about something someone wouldn't be able to hear. Maybe they would have to send away for a CD and wait for it to show up. So I think that really informed kind of how my writing style developed. Having, of course, saved up for the disc itself. What I would Absolutely. love to see in the future, uh, and we're, we're mainly here to plug Applause, which is out via Palazzo Editions for £25 uh, on September 1st. Absolutely, in the UK and November 1st in the US. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, because it's a UK, it must be a UK publisher. So yeah. people will have to get Lady Gaga on import. Do you reckon all the super fans are kind of finding a way to get their British friends to buy a copy and ship one over. It has been done, just like we used to do with albums. Yeah. Well, I remember the chance. It was weird when dance tracks especially got in on import and then they'd shoot up to number one, whereas now everything's available all the time. What I'd love to read is a book about Lady Gaga, purely about how brilliant a musician she was. I saw her at the O2... I must admit it was a bit much for me. It was like church. But she played you and I on the piano and the piano burst into flames. I thought, just leave the piano alone. This is your best song. Let the song sing. Um, do you find that with uh, Stephanie, with Lady Gaga? I, so I, it's funny because I follow Gaga since her very, very first albums. And even actually before. Like she opened for New Kids on the Block in the U.S., Really? Jeez, like before anyone knew who she was yeah. and like so I was like at that show I showed up late which now in hindsight I was like what was I thinking but I've always been a fan of hers and I've seen her many times live she is such an amazing musician and you know she's so fashionable and she's so flamboyant that her musicianship really gets overshadowed but in writing this book it really kind of underscored to me that she can pretty much do everything. She can do the piano ballads. She can do the electro electro music. She can do jazz. I mean, she's really, really versatile. And I think people forget that sometimes just because, you know, she is, uh, you know, such a, such a character. 
I was thinking about this guy earlier. I'm not going to mention him by name, but if I say that Jim De Rogatis has fought for justice for the victims of this guy, you'll know who I'm talking about. Do you discuss Gaga's collaboration with this guy in the book? Because it seems that we're kind of airbrushing this very successful musician out of music history, much as... It amazes me that Gary Glitter had three number ones in 1973. Gary Glitter nowadays, no one knows who he is because he's a non-person. So do you discuss Do What You Want in the book? Briefly. Um, you know, how I kind of structured my book is I talked about basically every era and every album of it. And obviously on Art Pop, that was a single. They filmed mm. the video for it that I don't think ever aired. Because I did a lot of research because, you know, there was at the time the record came out, you know, people were still trying to you know, basically reckon with, and I mean, what, what he had done, all of his crimes were known. He just hadn't been convicted of anything yet. And so people were still trying to kind of reckon with what that meant in his role in music and, you know, how Gaga reacted at the time. And then later how in hindsight, she was like, this should not have happened. I should not have done this. Hmm. So I did look at that and just say, you know, Hey, this is what happened at the time. And this is how people kind of reacted and realized we shouldn't have done this. And I think, you know, that reckoning, though, I think matches a lot of what's been, you know, has gone on in music in the past couple of years anyway. A yes. lot of things that were fine and flew and people were fine with 10, 15 years ago are absolutely not acceptable now. And that's just with changing times. Yeah, we're seeing that all across the arts. And yes, well, I studied classics at university and some of the things that they got up to, even emperors would get up to things that nowadays... Uh, John Waters would panic about putting in his movies. Art Pop came out. It didn't really hit. And, and it was her third album. So the third album for Ed Sheeran and Adele, certainly that's the one that hits and goes stratospheric. Uh, the Beatles as well. The Art Pop, from my memory, uh, and I'm interested about the reception now, didn't do brilliantly. It didn't. And, you know, even at the time, I think I reviewed the record and I think I was lukewarm on it. You know, that's the perils of having to make a snap judgment on a record. But, in, you know, but it is aged, you know, say, say for the duet we were just talking about, it's aged a lot better. And I, I think there's a lot of that kind of outre weirdo pop records. You know, I think of Christina Aguilera's Bionic is another one as well. Some of the Kylie Minogue records that were really trying to push pop music forward and do different things. And people weren't ready for it at the time. And because, no, art pop, you know, was basically, it, I mean, it, it flopped. Like, it just did not do well. And, you know, she had a management change around that time. You know, she was had such a busy schedule leading up to it. It was kind of a perfect storm of, you know, wrong place, wrong time. But, boy, just the music on that, you hear that so much. It really presaged so much of what indie electro, where that was going and how, you know, music now has sort of, gone and so you know it's been i think actually a pitchfork just reviewed it just very recently on their sunday review so it's, it's kind of getting its justice now ah i will have to check that she she really shot herself in the foot gaga because um i know captain moran is a huge fan of bad romance which is the glorious nonsense it's proper pop music starts with the chorus does everything pop should do and it's hers no one else not even madonna could have made bad romance because it was kind of we'd been prepared for it paparazzi and telephone uh, which may have come after uh, just dance featuring red one and akon um isn't it interesting starting from the very top of her career just how she's well how she's driven it as a businesswoman she really has. 
And from, you know, and she kind of grew up with that. She was driven even as a teenager to go out and start performing. And, you know, and as she kind of started getting into the business, like, you know, she formed a company like with her dad and, and I, I believe it was with her dad to kind of start going forward. But she's always made sure that like, look, I'm driving the bus on this. You know, I have a creative vision. I'm going to surround myself with collaborators that kind of, you know, agree with that and dovetail with that and, you know, are pushing it forward and I'm going to do it. And that's another, I think, really impressive thing about her. And I think that's also what's allowed her to become, you know, so diversified, you know, going into acting and kind of branching off and doing different musical things because she's always been very, very savvy about that aspect. That's very hard to find. You know, you a lot of times you find musicians that have the creative side totally buttoned up and then business, they have to leave it to other people because they just do not have that mindset and she's always always had both things which is very very impressive which makes her a kind of taylor swift figure the very obvious comparison which you might make in this book applause uh, which is out on the 1st of september in the uk uh, on palazzo editions is the Barbara Streisand comparison one she was always edging towards? Could you have felt in like 2014 that she was going to be the new incarnation of A Star Is Born's heroine, Ali? No, you know, and I think it was when she, I think you can kind of pinpoint when she, she started collaborating with Tony Bennett and she kind of, and she really showed people a different side of her. And then when she really got into acting seriously, then people are like, okay, yeah, I, I, I can kind of see this, you know, because and just with longevity, because you're right, you know, Barbara too was able to kind of transition, you know, from music and transition and, and do different styles into acting pretty seamlessly and just kind of and maintain her fan base and grow new fans. And, you know, Gaga is so exciting because she's doing it in kind of a modern way, really. Like her, her performance of Ali in A Star Is Born was just so amazing because she really disappeared into the role. But she, because she had her own performance background, she was able to kind of bring that as well to her performance. But I loved her in that movie. Yeah, it was real. It was too long and Sam Elliott's voice got lost in, maybe it was just the <laughs> cinema I was watching it in. It was, it was basso profundo profundissimo. Um, Sam Elliott but Gaga was just brilliant look what I found I think is her uh, that was the the big song uh, obviously Shallow won her it won her the award didn't it it, it did win yeah. the Academy Award it means that Stephanie Lady Gaga will be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, how close do you live to the building I live like 15-20 minutes down the road brilliant so does that mean that you get access whenever they do a big big event or an induction I do. I, you know, I try because as a, as, as a member of the press, I think I've covered every induction for the last, geez, I don't know, maybe 10 years or so. And, you know, whether it's here or in New York or L.A., but it's great. And I do, you know, I saw the meat dress, her meat, Gaga's meat dress came as part of an exhibit. So I got to see that up and close and personal. It was uh, just as interesting as you might think yes. um, being preserved. But yeah, I mean, she is the type of artist when you look at it in her longevity that, you know, in however many years when she's, you know, you have to be 25 years after your debut to get in the Rock Hall. I, you know, I could absolutely see her being a contender. It's going to, we're going to see all the rappers. Has Eminem, he's about to go in or in the next couple of years? Yeah. Correct. This yeah. year. Oh, it is this year, yes. Um, and the induction, it always gets publicity. Sometimes it was because as with Van Halen, was it Van Halen or... Uh, and the the act who just kind of tore each other limb from limb when they got on stage. It was Van Halen, well, wasn't it? I 
can't remember because they've they've had disagreements in so many places. But I know Axl Rose didn't show up when GNR got inducted, and that was before they had gotten back together. So I think they were not on great terms. Uh, John Lydon, of course, did not show up for the Sex Pistols, which is very in character. Gen- generally, people try to be on their best behavior. They kind of, even if you know they don't get along for one night, they 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 try. They they try to be a little bit, you know, smooth things over so they don't make headlines. We're getting to that era where pop and rock stars are business people. Ed Sheeran, yes, he's had my drugs hell. But Elton John tapped him on the shoulder and reminded him to be a good boy because that's what is expected nowadays. And the rock hall is vast. There's only one of the original class, which is Jerry Lee Lewis, his career. His obituary is going to be very interesting. Do you find yourself writing obituaries these days or... Uh, current stuff? Sadly, a little bit of both. Um, It it is very true that in the last five years or so, I think kicking off when when Bowie passed away, there's just been such a uh, awful cascade of celebrities passing away. And, you know, it's a very... It's a very odd thing for a while there. It was, you know, I was, it was very kind of depressing to be, you know, honoring these musicians, which, you know, obviously they make wonderful music, but to, you know, sit there and realize, geez, they're no longer with us and I'm eulogizing them and their music. Like it's, 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 you know, it's, it's a sad thing, but I do still cover, it is, I do still cover modern bands and I do still cover bands that are doing things now. And that's always a joy as well, you know, because it's, it's so interesting, you know, obviously pop music is cyclical. And so every new generation has their new pop stars and, you know, when they're the past generations, you know, pop stars come back as different people grow up and, you know, become editors and want to reclaim things. So it, it, it's nice. I missed one segue. I'm not going to miss this one. When Duran Duran were inducted into the Rock Hall last year, did you take them a copy of your book, Rio? Well, they're actually being inducted in, in uh, November. Oh, okay. So they haven't been inducted yet. They're with Eminem. I, I have not, but I know, I know they have copies of my book. Ah. Now, did they contribute to the book? Did they give you any interviews? Yes. Um, I was actually able to talk to um, everybody on the Rio record for the book, which was just phenomenal. You know, I was so grateful because, my God, they've done so many interviews over the years and, you know, talked about Rio so much. And, you know, I reached out and said, hey, I want to do a fresh interview. And they were down. Like, I was I was really, really happy about that. Did you interview Godly and Cream as well? I did not, but I did. I interviewed um, Russell Mulcahy, uh-huh. who did several of the iconic Rio videos. I interviewed Ian Eames, who did the chauffeur video. But, oh, man, like, Dolly and Cream, that would be actually a dream. Because, because, like, I, you know, I have so many questions about the Girls on Film video. Yes. <laughs> Amazingly, um, and you can tell, if you see a picture of my dad and a picture of Kevin Goddard, you can tell that they're a very distant relation. I've never met no Kevin. Way. But, yeah, he's, he's, like, I think something like fourth. It goes all the way back. Just listening to 10CC earlier, but Kevin Godley and and Lowell Cream directed some of Duran's videos. They are the subject of Rio, which is your entry in 33 and a third. I think you're the first person I've spoken to in this music library. That's why we're here to talk music literature, who has had this hallowed, uh, had your pitch accepted and published. It is the greatest series about music in the world. How excited were you, A, when your pitch got approved, and B, when you realized that you had to write the thing? So I had been pitching Rio since 2007, no lie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I, I pitched it twice, and to no avail. 
And so I put it on the shelf for a while. And then in like 2018, is it 2018, um, they had, they had a call for pitches and I wasn't going to pitch again. And then I was talking, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be really mad if someone pitches Rio and gets to write it. And it's not me because I wanted to write it for so long. So I whipped up my proposal again and I got an email several months later. And like, I started shaking. Like I was just like, Oh my God, you know, because it's something I'd wanted for so long. I was so excited. Like I was just over, over, over the moon to do it. Cause it's what, I mean, obviously it's one of my favorite records of all time. You know, I'd long thought that Duran Duran deserved way more credit for their musicality and their songwriting than they had been given. And so I was just like, this is, this is a chance. And so, and I, I've been a fan for decades too. So of course, so, you know, it was just, you know, a perfect storm of like a dream project basically. In your research, I know the core of that band is Birmingham, but Simon Le Bon grew up in Pinner and he lived with his wife Yasmin in Bushy, not far from Watford, so Bushy where George Michael grew up. So I feel like Duran Duran, had I been 10 years older, they would have been my band. As it was, I remember hearing Come On Done uh, on one of the Now compilations and thinking, wow, this is an interesting song. This does things that I've not heard pop me Even at seven and eight, I knew that. So it's an amazing journey, and I'm going to pitch this question and hang it on the Harry Styles hook. Is Harry Styles following what Duran Duran did to get out of the, not to say he's going to do like 9-11 is a joke, the, an act who was more famous for their haircuts actually are rewarded now for their music? That's a really good comparison, because it's, it's funny, because I'm a big Harry Styles fan, and I saw him last year, and... My immediate comparison, just a little bit kind of musically, was George Michael. Mm -hmm. You know, he has a couple songs, and I'm like, this is very Wham-like, you know, which is, I love Wham, so that's that was definitely a plus. That's a really interesting comparison, though. I think so, and I think, I think he's getting there. You know, I think the more solo albums he makes, and kind of the more he's, you know, I, I know, I mean, obviously he has his fans who have been with him since day one, and I think the more he kind of tours and gets out there, people are slowly starting to kind of see his multi-talents you know I, I think that he just I mean I think I feel like One Direction was probably bigger than Duran Duran was even at their peak they were just so massive and just so everywhere um you know and so I think he maybe has a little bit more of an uphill climb than Duran honestly because especially because it was a boy band yes boy bands you know are, are never well respected for their musicality which is also a very unfair thing but yeah I think so I think he's kind of on that trajectory It's very difficult to think of any One Direction song being played in 40 years' time the way that we still hear Girls on Film, Rio, something I should know. Duran Duran have about 10 radio staples. They are remarkably successful, and they're probably still ossified. All their fans obviously have grown up with them. Cliff Richard or, oh, I'm trying to think of an American comparison, maybe Diana Ross, but people whose fans grow up with the band. So when Duran get inducted in November, they're going to, uh, obviously they've had the music uh, for years and years and years, but they're still known as a band from 1984, probably the world's biggest band back then. I'm trying to find a question in there. Um, yeah. Well, I, I would, I would, I would quibble a little bit with that because even though they are kind of known for that, you know, it's funny, they're starting the U S tour at the end of the week. Um, they're playing three nights at the Hollywood bowl in September. <sighs> Um, so they're still playing 
big venues here. And they had, I really liked their record last year, Future Past. If no one has listened to it, um, I cannot recommend it. It is such a good record, you know, for a band that's been around for 40 some years. And if you want to hear more about Rio, uh, if you type the name Aline Zaleski into uh, your Spotify service, you'll be able to hear her uh, talking about it. Is it on the Rock Hall podcast? There's something to do with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yes, there is. So it's it's called, um, it's it's funny, it's a podcast that said that's who cares about the Rock Hall podcast. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they actually do care about the Rock Hall. And so I, I'm not sure how the name came about. It's, it's a pretty long running podcast. But um, yeah, I had a really great conversation with them a couple of weeks ago about Rio. But they, they do they do a really good job. They have really good conversations with music people about kind of all aspects of the Rock Hall, whether, you know, who's getting in, who deserves to get in and things like that. It's very good. The answer is Chaka Khan. Always Chaka Khan. Um, I, I am with you. I, it is criminal that, that, you know, she's been nominated with Rufus and has yeah. yet to get in. So I am with you 100%. She is the Diane Warren of the Rock Hall. And um, Chris Malamfi is a big fan of Chaka Khan. He's also a big fan of the B-52s. His Hit Parade podcast is essential listening. Uh, he did an episode about both the B-52s and R.E.M., and you have links with both of them. You wrote the liner notes to the reissue of Out of Time, and you're working on a book why in the Why the X Matters series about the B-52s, which builds on a piece you wrote for Salon magazine. You call, we'll do B-52s first, because they're still active. They have this subversive genius, despite a kitschy veneer, you called them gloriously weird... I agree with that. I, I, I was I was very proud of that piece, actually. And it's funny because you mentioned both of those bands. I did a there, there's this music critic conference called the Pop Conference. Oh, I did great. A, yeah, a, a, a paper on both of them. And it's funny. That's where Chris got the idea to do his his episode was from my from my paper after hearing that. Because mm-hmm. he and I are friends. Oh, um, yeah. But yeah, no, the B-52s, like, it, it's almost hard to get into explaining them and their music because it's so singular you know i think if you know you can talk about duran duran and you can say oh they really like bowie and they like roxy music and you know craft work and the human league like you know they're that the b-52s music is just you know they're, they're fans of yoko ono they're fans of james brown they're fans of you know the rolling stones but like you look at their influences and you're like how did you get from a to b just because you know, the way they make music is so different and the way they they think about music and the way they put together music is just so, uh, you know, it, it's just, it's unbelievable. I've been doing a lot of, you know, I've, I've done a lot of research and, you know, kind of into their creative, you know, their creative genesis and there, and it's just, I, I'm still, there's still so much to unpack have you, because they are so weird. Have you spoken to Nile Rogers yet to produce, was it Cosmic Thing? Yes. You know, it's funny. I spoke to Niall several years ago about his own kind of work and Duran and things like mm-hmm. that, but I have not talked to him about the B-52s. That's a great idea, though. I should actually reach out to them. Mainly because I want to know how uh, the b 50 obviously they knew each other from New York, I suppose. But I love how, and this is as um, symbolic to Niall and Bernard as to the B-52s. You said they are proud purveyors of love and unity through music and pop culture. Isn't Harry Styles doing that now? Um, B-52s are on a farewell tour, which starts uh, this weekend as we talk, or next week. They're not coming to Cleveland. Uh, Will you thus go to the Beacon Theatre show in October to see them on this farewell tour? 
You know, I saw, so they played at Riot Fest, the festival in Chicago a few years ago before the pandemic. And we went to go see them. And it was such a great show. It was just, there were like, uh, there were so many people there. Like they drew one of the biggest crowds of the day. They, it was so energetic. The set list was great. The vibe was good. I'm kind of like, I think like I was, I was sort of like, we left the show and I'm like, I think if I never see them again, I'm good. And so I think my schedule this fall is really kind of up and down. So I don't think the shows are going to, unless they do come to Cleveland, they come to Cleveland, they add a show, I'll be able to go. But I think traveling is going to be tough this fall, unfortunately, but I've seen some great show. I mean, over the years, dating back to when they toured with the Go-Go's, you know, I saw them at the Pretenders in the late nineties. And so I've seen some really great B shows over the years. Yeah. Uh, When's the book deadline, by the way? Yeah, that's that's always TBD. Uh-huh. <laughs> I should be working on it as we speak. <laughs> Obviously, I, sh- I shouldn't uh, ask that because you're promoting. Lest we forget, applause. The Lady Gaga book is it? Is it a big glossy book? Are you? Do, is it you it doing is. the text and then the pictures of the Gaga? It's beautiful. I got copies of it. I mean, and it is. You know, it's basically a coffee table book of just. You know, I wrote basically the text where there's a discography in the back and there's these just beautiful photos of her throughout the years you know from performing when she was at Lollapalooza on a tiny stage and no one knew who she was onward through her Vegas residency and kind of everything in between because I mean her fashion you know I, I, I touched on her fashion of course in the book just because you can't you know ignore that but boy I, I could write like a separate book just on her fashion it's so fabulous yeah she's she's a great watch and apparently a good hang because dad dad's getting a lot of mentions hi dad if you're listening uh was involved with polaroid and i, I mentioned this to you um that dad was um uh, dad was sat in meetings and i asked her well what was she like she said well the eight one the makeup lady goes everywhere with her and two she's very very driven about Gaga. And I love that. And I, cause I think, and that just, that comes through. I mean, that was, I think one of my biggest impressions after sort of researching and writing the book is that like she, and just you, know, even her documentary, if you watch her documentary, you just see how much she is just willing to give of herself 150% to make sure everything looks good. Everything looks perfect. And everything is up to her standards, but also just sounds good. You know, she is just so uh, committed to putting out quality everywhere she goes. And, you know, and I think the bigger rock stars get, that isn't always the case, you know? I mean, just because they simply can't, you know, they simply don't have enough of themselves to give to be able to sort of be the, you know, person, you know, overseeing everything. But she manages to do it. I mean, she's, uh, you know, she's unbelievable. I have so much more respect for her. Uh, after having written the book, and I had a lot to begin with. From there, can I go to Rapid Eye Movement? I'm a, a fan of R.E.M., not an enormous yeah. fan, but every I would buy the recent albums that they closed the career with. Did they run out of ideas, or um, were they just... They got so big, they had that label deal. It was after Out of Time, I think. It was Monster was the massive deal, or New Adventures... They came from the counterculture and then they were the culture and not many other bands of their size did that. Not even Radiohead, whom you've also 
uh, talks about you're on 60 songs that explain the 90s, uh, talking about creep. But yeah, REM, um, when you were writing these liner notes, obviously you were thinking about the band quite a lot. I was, and, and REM was another one of those bands that, you know, that was my band in high school. Like I just, you know, they that's the band that I just, that resonated with me the most and growing up, and they still do um, to enormous amount. You know, I think Out of Time is such an interesting record because, you know, it came at a point where, you know, music was starting to turn a little more harder edged. It was getting a little grungier and, you know, and they were coming out of hair metal and, and things like that. And R.E.M. came out with this orchestrated record that was extremely, you know, lush and rich and completely different from anything they had ever done before. And that was so characteristic of them. You know, they weren't following cultural trends or musical trends. They were like, we're going to make our own. This is what we want to do right now cool you know if, if people follow us great if not oh well you know the, the fact that it connected and uh, you know became kind of a blockbuster is is still such a lovely story because you can't predict that but it's also the songwriting i mean i think on that record you know uh, specifically they really really you know were connecting creatively and just really coming up with you know that whatever whatever was going on at the time, they were just in the right headspace to kind of all work together. And so, I mean, long before I was able to do the liner notes, I was that was one of the first records I ever bought, and so I, I knew it pretty right. pretty well inside and out. Um, so, I mean, that was that was also a joy. And you know, and I have so much respect for them because when they decided to break up, they were like, "I think we've said all we need to say. We're going to move on. We're going to stay friends. We're not going to you know do the the sad." final victory lap reunion tour that you sometimes see and they were basically like we're, we're good and they've gone on to do you know different things and they've remained friends and like i don't you know I, they had such a great breakup and it's, it's funny yeah. to say that but you know not many bands could do that and uh, much like the b52s who lost uh, ricky wilson yeah. uh, they lost bill berry who is still alive but it was yeah when i heard about that i thought it was crazy it was on stage he had the Attack. He did. Yeah. He did. And, you know, and which, and, you know, I think as, as anyone, when, when you have a really serious health scare, you know, I think you kind of, you, you start to kind of, you know, weigh your life and weigh your priorities. And, uh, you know, I mean, he finished out the tour and then, yeah, like a couple of years later, he was like, I think I'm going to retire, you know, and I, I also respect that, you know, that he's like, you know, uh, this is what I need to do for myself. You know, long before we were talking about, you know, mental health and protecting your health, you know, that's what they were, that's what he was doing. And, you know, and that's, that's in hindsight, it's like, wow, that takes, that's really brave. And that's really bold for, you know, someone to say, I need to do this for myself and, you know, step away from one of the biggest bands in the world. And then for REM to continue and say, you know what, you know, we can do this. We're going to move on and we're going to do things too. Like, you know, that's amazing. You know, again, like not all bands survive something like that. And REM became bigger in Europe than ever after Bill left, weirdly enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had friends who were enormous fans. I, I loved oh. their song, The Great Beyond. I think more people should know that. Oh, That's yeah. one of their orchestra. It pales in comparison with Man of the Moon because it's effectively the same song on purpose. But I, yeah, I'm a big fan of REM and I'll go back to their catalogue. Does this mean you would have played REM on your Radio Crimson show? I, I had, so when I, I live, used to live in St. Louis and I played, uh, I was on their uh, community radio station there and I would definitely play R.E.M. In, in college, I was, I did college radio and it was sort of the like 3.30 in the morning shift. Oh no. And it was kind of like the cool, like it was definitely kind of the cool, like post-punk punk radio. That was, that was kind of the rock 
you know, Left uh, rotation. Of the dial. Yeah. Yeah. So I would, I would play like simple minds before the breakfast club. I would play like all the cutting edge, like indie rock and synth rock that was going on at the time. So I would play like gang of four and you know, stuff like that. So it would be a lot of actually kind of late seventies, early eighties, like punk and post-punk from the UK, weirdly enough. Oh, really, yeah, of course. I, I, yeah. You have written an awful lot about what may be called the Warped Tour era. There's this documentary about Woodstock that I'm sure you are duty-bound to see. I have no interest in uh, seeing lots of angry people in the rain. But is it not crazy that My Chemical Romance, Panic at the Disco, have got a new record out, I think on Friday they released this new album. Paramore, uh, who I think are doing a new album. This is now retro. That kind of music is retro now in the way that REM's music was retro at the turn of the millennium. You just made me get like 20 more gray hairs to Sorry. say that because that, that is extremely true, you know, because that, that's the stuff I also grew up on I mean, as a journalist. Like, yeah, I was immersed in that stuff for much of the 2000s. You know, I did cover stories on Paramore for Alternative Press and My Chemical Romance for the LA Times. I mean, it's a testament. I mean, you know, we talked about how music that doesn't get as much respect as it should it's really gratifying to see that era, you know, kind of being lifted up by, you know, not just people who grew up on it, but younger generations too, who recognized the musicality and how original it was and the important things they all said. Um, because at the time, like, it was definitely not respected. You know, it was kind of viewed with skepticism. It was viewed as this sort of outsider thing. And people were a little bit like, oh, I don't know about this. You know, I got a lot of assignments, I think, because, you know, I was really I was willing to listen to it. I really genuinely liked the music. But a lot of people just had a lot of skepticism about it. So it's it's very, very cool. I mean, it's mind blowing to see, you know, my chem play such huge venues overseas in mm-hmm. the UK. It's just, I mean, I know they were they were super big to begin with. But just, you know, to kind of maintain that and even exceed that is just mind blowing. Yeah. Um, great. And we're now in the position where a little guy called Dom Harrison, a.k.a. Youngblood, is about to put out his major label album. Oh. And he's going to make so much money for the label, but he's kind of put that 21st century, third decade Web 3.0 spin on it. Are you excited, having chatted to all these guys, your Jared Ways, your, your uh, what's his name, Brendan Yuri, um, what Youngblood is doing nowadays? I have seen, I have been blown away every time I see him perform or sing. And, you know, because he was on a Bowie tribute, I think it was either early this year or late last year. He is such a talent. And that's another one that I think he does not get the respect necessarily for his artistry. You know, he's kind of, I mean, he's kind of a gaga, like in a way. And I'm very excited to see where he goes next because I think he's kind of, it's funny because he's very popular, but I think he's still almost, un, you know, yeah. underrated almost. Very is... interesting. I, w- I think he's ready for Stadia. I think you could put him on as a support act for someone like Gaga or even oh. Olivia Rodrigo, who is another. She must make you feel ex- astonishingly young. Olivia Rodrigo, like born in 2003 crazy um so you've you've brought us full circle by mentioning gaga the book is applause which comes out september 1st price 25 pound on palazzo the b52s matter will come out at some point in the next decade and uh, i'll follow all your uh, induction news at the rock hall do you know which weekend it is this year? it is november 5th so weekend after halloween that, is that the midterms week that's a good I, it 
it actually is. That's, yeah. So it's a Saturday night, thankfully. So everyone will be everyone will be in fine spirits. But yeah, that is that is around the midterms. Ooh, Excellent. hopefully things will be in a good way. We'll see. And the Duran Duran Rio book, uh, thirty three and third, published by Bloomsbury. Wherever you get your thirty three and third books. Thank you so much, Annie Zaleski. Annie dot com is the website. Uh, I better let you get back to the Love Shack. <laughs> I'm, I'm heading down on the side of the road right now. I brought my jukebox money. Tin roof rusted.